Okay, I'm shifting gears. Mm. 11 and 20. So shift your 11 and 20. So move that 21 thing. and 30. Nope. No, it's the orange. Oh, like driving a real car. Welcome to Which Game First, where we boldly explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we find any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up this week, we find that guessing the answer is not always as easy as one, two, three in Hintagers. Next, we burn rubber as we shift into pole position in Formula D Racing. And lastly, we multitask our way to multiple victories as we play a game within a gameception. I'm your host, Celeste DeAngelis. Now let's meet the rest of our brave and intrepid panel. Hi, I'm Evan Bernstein. Hey, Ed, what's a prime number? Hi, I'm Ed Povolitis. A prime is a natural number greater than one that is divisible only by one and itself. Hi, I'm Joe Unfree. It also has to be an integer. And don't get me started on why negative numbers can be prime. They just can. Hey, Joe, what's shaking on the news section of our website? We have a listicle about some vintage board game box art that hasn't aged that well. It's worth checking out just to find out why the cover of the Titanic board game absolutely does not stand the test of time. Check out that and other great articles on our website today. And if you have a chance, please subscribe, rate, or review us. Yes, it really helps us grow. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Our first game up this week is Hintagers, designed by Frank Albert and Russell Ng, published by Zafty Games in 2018, number of players 5 to 10, ages 8 and up, playing time 20 minutes. Okay, when we shined a light on this game, what were our first thoughts? Joe? So... You're thinking of a number from 1 to 10, and I need to guess what it is? Evan? 5. No, wait, 4. Oh, no, wait, 7. Ah, where's my D10 when I need it? Ed? At least my odds are never worse than 10%. <laughs> I mean, True. I can only give a single word as a clue, and you have to guess my chosen number from that? Okay, my clue is twins. Two! Oh, 12. Too obvious. Oh, but before we get too obvious, Evan, tell us how it's played. Each player is given a hand of 10 cards numbered 1 through 10. Players take turns being the hint giver or guessers. The hint giver chooses a category card such as furniture and shows it to the guessers. The hint giver then secretly chooses one of his number cards and gives the guessers a one-word clue related to the number and the category. For example... If the hint giver reveals the category furniture and secretly chose the number two, they may give the clue love seat. The guessers then try to match the hint giver's secret number. If anyone guesses correctly, the hint giver gets to discard their number card, and so do all correct guessers. The first person to have only three number cards left wins. But here's the catch. As the hint giver, you need to have at least one person answer correctly in order for you to get closer to winning. But you don't want too many people to guess correctly because they will get closer to winning as well. So clever clues are the key. <laughs> yeah, so that love seat clue wouldn't really fly well because everybody would be guessing too. Except in our case where Mikey chose love seat and the right answer was one. What? <laughs> because, because me and Mikey know that only one person can sit on a love seat. Comfortably. <laughs> yeah. So that's the key. The key is to give clever clues that some people will get, but not everyone. 
two. Yes! Yes! You said it wow. yes. So, it had a life. so oh, nice. yes. I did seven copy because I knew she was gonna put two, and <laughs> I was thinking two. Copy! Because she earlier said oh, right. guacamole is just two. Salt. Right. It's exactly what I was thinking, <laughs> but I was like, seven, you guys did it right. Seven is the true the number minus, of ingredients. Another cool thing, there are three lifelines that you have in your set of one through ten cards, and they you can play it along with your card out, eh, just in case you're fudging the numbers a little bit. So one will give you a chance to subtract one from your guess, another one will let you add one to your guess, or another one will just straight up copy another player's card. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah, actually, that was my least favorite. So yeah, you get these three additional cards called lifelines. And that was my least favorite because it's like, that's an automatic win if anybody guesses correctly. <laughs> so that was kind of a no, That's true. Well, I think actually they're, or A, they're only one-time use. And they're there to help you. Like sometimes like you might be missing a number from your, your side. It's like, oh, I think it's a seven, but I don't have that anymore. So yeah. let me play this minus an eight plus a minus one. And I think that'll get me to seven. Well, it's it's u- really useful for the numbers that get guessed correctly a lot, like two, three, and four. So you lose numbers as you go through this game, is that right? Yes. Whenever somebody gets the answer correct, they get to lose their card al- along with the clue giver. So the clue giver wants somebody to get it right, but not everybody. Ideally, just one other player. Yeah, and the thing is, as the game goes on, Joe is right. You end up with the good numbers, like the ones people are likely to give clues about, like the low numbers, and you're stuck with like the number 10 and 9 and 8. And then it's like, when is somebody going to give a clue where 9 is the right answer? So (laughs) it gets more challenging as the game goes on. So save your lifelines for the end. That's what I suggest. Like, for example, I really liked your clue, Joe, when he gave out twins. And I was there like, oh, what do you, it can't be two. So what is it? Their age? What else about them? Right. Did anybody guess it right, Joe? No, I don't think anyone did. I think some people went for the age and just got, were off. No, by one with the age. Yeah, because the answer was nine, because that's the age of the of our twins. I gave the clue daughters once, and people were wondering, is it the amount of daughters I have? And the only person to get it right was the other person at the table who had a daughter, and he added all the daughters at the table, you know, all the people who had daughters at the table together, and that was the right number. Oh, wow. Ah, <laughs> that was cool. So when I first started playing this game, I was like, this is going to be really hard. Like, I can only give one word as a clue. But as gameplay started, I realized, oh, no, it's actually perfect. You have to think quite a bit and give a clue that is good, but not obvious so it was a challenge it was more of a challenge than i expected well the numbers one to ten are so simple and they they apply to so many things that the game's most important aspects seem to be knowing how your opponents think about numbers knowing the people at the table will help a lot knowing how they play and how they think oh yeah very much so although a couple times i went for the obvious one hoping that other people say, well, that's too obvious and try to look for a mm-hmm. different number. I, you totally burned me on one like that, too. <laughs> I was like, no! <laughs> like, everybody at the table but me chose yep. it. And I even watched you switch your number card. So I'm like, oh, no, he went from obvious to not obvious. Oh, no, no, he went from not obvious to obvious. You totally got me. I can't wait for them to come out with their expansion set. Yeah, 11 through 20. 
<laughs> and the, yeah, the rules are incredibly simple for a contest where your mind can be running a mile a minute, you know, sifting through theories about the exact line of thought to connect to the no, to connect the subject to the secret number. The rules were well written, and they presented just on an index-sized card. Yeah, they're not a door stopper. I think my favorite part of the game was uh, explaining the answers. When you get a really good clue and only one or two people guess it correctly, I loved listening to the hint giver explain why they chose that number. Because almost every time it was like, a, oh, yeah, that number does work with that clue. So that was fun. It did spark conversation. And that is one of the cool aspects of the game, that it does provoke you to be a little thoughtful with your questions and answers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this game looks really nice. Bright, bold colors, easy to read. I love the colors. Each player gets their own color. So you get to choose a color at the beginning, and that's all your cards. So there's no confusion over whose number one that is at the table. Well, they also have, a, a uh, for colorblindness, they have a little um, a two-letter abbreviation for the colors. At the bottom of each card, yes. I, I'd forgotten that because it's, it's subdued. It's not in your face. Yeah, I think it's a nice touch for the for colorblind people to have a a a code there to represent that color. Yeah, it's nice to see more and more game designers making their games with you know accessibility in mind for you know as many people in the gaming public as they can. Agreed. Yeah, that is a growing trend, and I think that's a nice trend to see. And it's really cool that we picked this game up from Zafty Games when we went to PAX East in Boston. Yeah, the Zafty booth is always fun because there's always people playing games there. There's always a, you know, a crowd there. People want to see what's what those guys are going to come up with next. Uh, I picked up Toshambo last time I was there, which you know turned out to be a favorite of mine. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Hintagers. Ed? I think it's a fine party game. With gameplay, that reminds me a little bit of Dixit. It's not really my cup of tea, but if you like party games, you may want to dig this up. Joe? I thought this game would be too simple or too random, but it didn't turn out that way for me. It's better played with friends than strangers, but worth digging up. Evan? It sounds kind of cool. Someday I will actually play it, so I'll get back to you then with either my pickaxe or my shovel. This is a clever game that is good for parties. I would say a mixed group of people you know and don't know might be best, and it really gets conversations started. I saw it online for about 15 bucks, or you can probably still get it at your local gaming store. If you have thoughts about Hintagers, let us know. We would love to hear from you. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our next game up this week is Formula D, designed by Laurent Lavauer and Eric Randall, published by Asmodi in 2008. Number of players, 2 to 10, ages 8 and up, playing time, 60 minutes. All right, when we shine the spotlight on this game, what were our first impressions? Evan? Oh, look at the dice. We must be playing Dungeons & Dragons, right? What? We're racing cars with these? Ed? Careful, that purple D20 doesn't have numbers 1 through 10. I kind of want to bring this to my next 5e game. Joe? Who's going to be the big sensation? Who will be the champion of the nation? And one of them cars standing out there on the grid. Ready to explode by Slade, circa 1983. Yeah. Vroom, vroom. But not too much vroom, vroom. But just enough vroom, vroom. And you knew this was coming, gentlemen. Before we start our engines, Evan, tell us how it's played. 
Each player manages a car as it races around a Formula D track in Monaco, represented on a large game board. Each player keeps track of the mechanical operation of their car on their own personal tracker called a dashboard. At the start of your turn, you choose which gear to start in. You can only go up or down one gear per turn. The higher the gear, the faster you will go around the track. But be careful, because the track's sharp curves and corners will damage your car if you take them too fast. Damage is kept track of on your dashboard. If your car gets too damaged, it's out of the game. And out of the race. You roll dice to move spaces on the track. When you move to a higher gear, you get to roll a die with a higher set of numbers on it. Thus, you'll go faster because you're going to cover more spaces. And of course, the first player to get their car across the checkered finish line wins the race, the game, and all glory that yeah. is to be had anywhere in the universe. Yay. Well, okay, wow. maybe not all that, but you definitely win the race. They have beginner and advanced rules, so there are many variants to alter the play experience. We have we played with the advanced rules, and they allowed us to do a, a couple of special steps, like if you wanted to downshift fast, you can do so, but it damaged your gearbox. I loved that aspect of it, that you had to downshift to get around those corners. That was definitely my favorite part of the game, that it isn't just up gear, up gear, up gear, up gear. All right, get to the finish line. Managing gears was key. Ah, but the temptation is there to want to roll those big dice with big numbers and get out in front. It's yeah. just too, it's just very tempting, but you're right. You always want to roll the big dice. But you can't do that. You're going to wreck your car. So <laughs> patience, unfortunately, is part of this game as well. You know, I can't believe, because patience is such an important part of the game, I can't believe that I managed to do pretty well around those corners. <laughs> yeah. The game comes with six colored dice. There are a D4, a D6, a D8, a D12, a D20, and a D30. Ah, our eyes lit up when we saw those dice. And those are the exact dice that you play D&D with. Only these dice are different because they don't have all the numbers on them. No, they don't. They tend to only have high numbers on them, which means, yeah, I would totally love to bring these to D&D to cheat with. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Your D12 has numbers 7 through 12 on it. There's two 7s, there's two 8s, there's two 9s, and so forth. So a lot of the higher dice are crafted this way specifically because if you're in a higher gear, guess what? You're going faster no, ma no matter what. You wouldn't be rolling a 1 on a 12-sided in a higher gear. No, you'd be going a minimum of 7. And we haven't seen a D30 since, what, first edition D&D? Whoa, <laughs> gosh. It had to be oh, the yeah. 80s when... D30 was all the rage for about four months. Yeah. <laughs> Until they realized it never stops rolling. Exactly. It's practically round. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I think one of the cool components in the game is the little dashboard they give you. When you go to shift gears, you actually have to do it as if you were moving the gear shift in a car. Slide it over, down, and into its next position. I felt like I was in one of those cartoons or maybe an old Inspector Clouseau movie where you know he's he's work he's trying to work the gear shift and it comes off in his hand and he <laughs> ends up throwing it out the window. Yeah, because you do pull the pegs out of your dashboard, so yeah. and you could imagine that it's pulling the shifter out, which actually happened to me once when I was driving a car. And he would fit right in in Monaco, you know. It's this world's second smallest country, and it's got some of the greatest Monaco? racing history. Yeah, its Grand Prix has been run since 1929, and it, with Le Mans and the Indy 500, the three of them formed the triple crown of motorsport. Ooh, interesting. Cool. Now, I never tri played racing games before joining this panel, but race games, you know, they need to be more than just rolling 
how far you go each turn. I mean, the fun is deciding when to press your luck and how to get the most out of your car. Yeah, you're better than average. Yeah, but you gotta stay. Okay. You gotta. But if you go inside, no guarantee. Uh, if yeah. you're inside, you're overshooting no matter what. Are you guys seriously overwhelming okay. Joe with choices? Right. Is yeah. that what's no, we're telling him to do nothing. His best course here. of action is okay. to do nothing. Lot. It is kind of a press your luck game, isn't it? Oh, very much so. I mean, I like how Evan was in the lead for probably like the last half lap or so, but Matt was able to get really lucky and position himself right next to him as he came out the final corner, and then it was a roll-off to see who was going to win the game. Yeah, and that's... So this game is part strategy, part luck. It was about a 50-50 split, I felt, as far as its balance goes. Yes, you do have to pay close attention to the track because if you're in certain lanes, you don't always have the freedom to move either left or right. Sometimes you're restricted in that, and you need to calculate that, especially as you're going around your turns, and watch out for debris in the road that gets left by cars that are damaged. But it's also luck in that, yes, it came down to sort of this roll-off of two sets of rolls at the very end of the game when it all was said and done and I just happened to, you know, have a maximum roll that put me out in front to win. Yeah, that twelve year roll really sealed the win for you. Yeah. Yeah. I came out of that turn in a in a pretty high gear and then rolled the maximum. So that was a that worked well for me. Uh Formula D, uh which is sometimes pronounced, you know, Formula Day, like you know, Formula One is pronounced Formula Un sometimes. Formula One and Formula D are not chemicals or fuels. They are actual modes of how a race is run. And rather than focusing on races, trying to finish the course in the fastest time, drifting, which is what Formula D covers, is a motorsport emphasizing line, angle, and style that combines traditional racing with extreme sports. Drift drivers intentionally oversteer with a considerable loss of traction in the rear wheels, trying to maintain control of the car through the entirety of a corner. So this, so Formula D actually stands for Formula Drift. Yeah, they do this through uh, maximizing downforce, and that is sort of the reverse of lift, which is the force that allows an airplane to go into the air off the ground. They apply that in reverse to forcefully press the race car against the surface of the track. Airfoils are specifically built with certain shapes and experimented with to you know, manipulate airflow both over and under the car to press the car as forcefully against the track as it can. I think they definitely model a few different factors in the game. For example, in the, in the advanced game, they have a lot of different kind of wear points that you can use. So, for example, your gearbox is good for if you want to you know, shift gears fast or... Um, you can also have engine wear points if you happen to be going too fast, you roll too well, or um, you know, suspension points for taking rough corners. And they have other kinds of expansions too, right, Joe? Uh, yes, they do. They, they have expansions covering other tracks. Oh, yeah. They have a lot of tracks for this game. There are a few tracks set in the United States, uh, and there are many set in other nations, such as you know Singapore, India, and Germany. Yeah, the rules of this game would seem to allow for you to come up with lots of your own kinds of tracks, your own cars, your own features and characteristics. Yeah, I saw some of these homemade custom tracks online, and some of them are impeccable, like a Mm. complete model layout, almost like a model train city. One of them had 3D bleachers where there was an (laughs) audience sitting there watching. Oh, Oh, wow, that's really cool. (laughs) That's devotion to the game. Well, I question the playing time. You know, they say 60 minutes. Perhaps that's more of an average. Uh, it, 
it's going to take you longer to play <laughs> to play this game. It took us quite a while to play, and we had six players. Well, I, I've seen tournament play this game, and those people obviously know the game very well, and they move these games pretty speedily. So if you want a fast game, play with tournament players. Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. and watch your doors get blown off yeah. in the meantime. <laughs> this game is almost 30 years old. It was originally published at Formula Day back in 1991. Wow, and uh, is it the same exact game? It is the same primary game. It had the uh, six different dice then, and they had a lot of expansion tracks then, now up to 13 different tracks. And now for the the second edition of the game was produced by Eurogames, and they had like, 15 different tracks released as well. I like the little plastic cars you get to choose from. Uh, they were pretty varied in their style. They had decorations on them to sort of let you express your own personal style. And yes, on the other side of the board is a different road race version of the game where they have different cars and different racers and different rules for that version of the game. Yeah, so you get a lot of bang for your buck out of the original set. Okay, explorers, get your shovels ready. It's time to dig up or bury Formula D. Evan? It's a clever design. I love the dice and the dashboard. There's enough strategy in there to keep things interesting, but you also need luck of the rolls to help. Dig it up. Ed? I like that there are a variety of options to scale its complexity, and it can keep a sizable group of folks entertained for a little while. I'll dig it up. Joe? My strategy was just terrible, but I had <laughs> fun with it. Dig it up. <laughs> I think if you're a racing fan or enjoy racing games, this is a great option. It is very well balanced with the mechanics, but I found it quite a bit too long for the experience. Kind of like watching racing on television. <laughs> so I will have to say bury it. Joe, where can you find this game? Formula D is available at many game stores, and there are six expansion tracks available as well. It runs for about $60 for the game and around $30 for the expansions. If you have thoughts about Formula D, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our last game up this week is Gameception, designed by James Woodward, published by Triumvirate Games in 2017. Number of players, 2 to 10, ages 8 and up. Playtime, all game day. Okay, when we put this game under the magnifying glass, what were our first thoughts? Evan? Gameception. Stop it. I really need to concentrate on the game I'm playing. Oh, wait, did you just laugh out loud? That's a point for me. Ed? There are wheels within wheels and fires within fires in this village. Joe? Wow, if you're one of those gamblers with one eye on the overhead keynote display while you're sitting at the poker table, this game may be for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know those people. <laughs> <laughs> to play this game, you must also be playing another game at the same time. A multitasker's dream come true. But before we get all meta, Evan, tell us how it's played. At the start of game day, each player draws two cards. When someone triggers one of your cards, read it aloud and score it, then draw a new card. For example, the Power Gamer, which says if someone else tells a player what to do on their turn, get someone to slip up and score your card. At the end of game day, tally all the cards you scored. The winner is the one with the most cards. Yeah, so you actually have to have another game running in order to score these Gameception cards. Because the Gameception cards talk about the other game you're playing. The 
Game time all day. All day. All day. Oh, uh, that maybe that's not gonna happen. Whoa. What does that even mean as a playtime? <laughs> all day. Do you have to get up at dawn and finish at dusk? It's just something that goes along with whatever you're doing, but probably. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's one of those ones that's continuous over like you weeks. Play while playing other games. So let's what? do two at a time. Yeah. Multitasking. What? <laughs> right, you're playing your alpha game, right? You're sitting at your board, you're, you're concentrating on your game, and then all of a sudden there's Gameception, this other game that you're playing alongside the other game, looking for all these things that happen during the normal course of any sort of gameplay, practically any gameplay, in order to try to score points based on those actions. It's it's something I've never thought of before. It's a, it, really clever on on the game designer's part. Yeah, and it also has you paying attention to other players. Oh my gosh. The one said if somebody has multiple cans of soda or drink in front of them, that that's a win. Oh yes! Uh, I got one already. Yeah? I got one already. Well, somebody exclaims oh yes. Joe has more than two cans in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was like instant win. A lot of these cards are like instant wins. But a lot of the classic gamer tropes are in there. Oh yeah, that's the thing. It's like these are all the things that annoy you at the game table when other <laughs> right. people do them. Suddenly, you're getting points for them. I think it's genius. <laughs> it is oh, genius. you're playing with your phone, are you? Ha ha! Yeah. Point. That's right. <laughs> I, I like how the scoring is easy. You don't have to, you know, keep track of it on paper or anything. You just keep the cards you've scored separate from the ones you still have in reserve. So. My absolute favorite card was the passing gas card, which I can't believe I had to wait like half the night to be able to cash in. Wasn't me. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and, but my, but my all-time favorite card to watch being played was Evan's card about no talking. Oh, I got that card, and it says on it, you score if one of the players at the table does not speak for five minutes straight. I'm looking at this card. I'm saying, this is impossible. How is that going to happen? Especially with this group. Are you kidding me? And I was like, no, no, no. Trust me. Joe will not talk for five minutes. Watch, watch. And I set a timer for Evan. I just put, I just subtly put my phone's timer next to Evan. As the game is being played, Celeste and I, every 30 seconds or so, we're taking a look at the timer. Okay, two minutes. All right, two minutes, 30 seconds, three minutes. It's actually getting closer. And it got to four minutes and 30 seconds, and then it was Joe's turn, and Ed was just about to cue Joe in. That's right. So, because we had six players, thank goodness we did. Having that extra player at the table for this one made a difference in this particular card. So it was about to be Joe's turn at four minutes and 30 seconds, and he hasn't said a word. Oh, my gosh. And Ed's about to call Joe for his turn. Joe's about to say something. My clock, my whole plan is going to go out the window. Okay, I got to do something quick. Uh, quick uh, Ed, Ed. I, so I interrupt Ed. Ed, Ed, I have to ask some questions here about uh, we're playing uh, Formula D, and I have questions about my dashboard. See how my dashboard pegs? Are? So I'm making up. I'm spewing this total BS, basically. I don't even know what I'm half saying. And, and I was wondering, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to move the game along. All the while, my eyes are on the clock, counting down yeah. the seconds, you know, 10 seconds to go, nine seconds to go. As I'm talking, yeah. it must have made no sense to anybody else at the table what the heck was going on. They thought I lost my mind. 
So I was able to stretch out my question, my my incomprehensible question, long enough to make it to the five minute mark. <laughs> the classic servant with two masters. <laughs> it was so great to watch, and yes, that's exactly it. This game, beware, can totally interrupt regular gameplay. Absolutely. Oh yeah, and uh, and another thing, Matt noticed you two working together on that plan, so he didn't play the alliance maker card and scored that. Oh, <laughs> see, there's, card, there's plays off of plays off of plays. Mm-hmm. And I was absolutely wondering if there was going to be a Kingmaker card. I'm like, that mm. is a classic game day issue. And uh, yeah. sure enough, the last card drawn of the night was Kingmaker. It was frustrating because I was watching Mikey just score card after card after card. And I'm like, ah, some of the cards are harder to score than others, for oh, sure. Oh, yeah. That's why I kind of got bored with the game after a little while, because I got stuck with a couple of cards I couldn't play. Like, I had the, the smoke vape card, and no one uh, at the table yeah. was going to get that, so I had a, you know, a stock card there. And then I also had the chicken. We're playing a racing game. You know, so the chicken? There's something, there's no one going to back away from a fight in a race game, so it's like, ah. So yeah. now I got two cards I can't use, so eh. One way to solve that problem could be done with a mechanic that already exists in the game. There is a mechanic in the game where if you dispute somebody cashing a card in, like, no, I don't think that was an alliance, you can call a vote. And I think that you can, you should also be able to call a vote if a card is unplayable. So somebody could say, you know what, this card is unplayable with this group or with this game because A, B, and C, and then everybody right. could vote on whether or not he could turn that card in. I mean, that's a possibility. You'd have to reveal the card, but heck, I don't think revealing the card is too important on some of them. Would you, you know? consider that a house rule, Celeste? Yeah, you would have to implement so that as a house there's rule. There's a card in which if someone initiates a house rule, that scores a point <laughs> for them. There's another example. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Gameception. Joe? I could see Gameception working really well in tandem with a tabletop RPG. Whoever wins Gameception collects some bonus XP or a cookie or something. That's why I want to dig it up. Ooh, bonus XP. That's great. Evan, how about you? This is really clever. It's good humor, but beware, it will drain some of your attention from your alpha game. It's still fun. Dig it up. Ed? It'll add some fun to the game day, but I suspect it can get old after a few plays, but for now, I'll dig it up. Ed, that's why the game comes with blank cards as well, so you can write in your own stuff specific to your group. I could see this game becoming essential for the easily bored gamer, especially if their phone is out of power. So dig it up. Ed, where can you find it? This print run was probably on the small side for this game, but I saw some copies online for about 20 bucks. If you have thoughts about Gameception, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you've done. If you'd like more perks and content from our show, including exclusive episodes, for just $3 a month, you can go to our website and click on Become a Supporter today. If you get a chance, please leave us a rating or a review on your favorite podcaster. It really helps others find the show join our chat on our discord server which game first and our patron supporters get access to exclusive channels happy gaming explorers and now some closing poetry from joe and perhaps others crew chiefs pray their drivers don't crash because at the end of the race they can win big cash Stephen forcier poetrysoup.com 2000 